Great, uh, great question. What is a mom? What is a mom? Uh, and uh, love to hear that from kids, like their understanding of that. You know, our, uh, our understanding of mom and motherhood is so, uh, so influenced by the cultures we grow up in. It's influenced by the faith that we grow up in. Uh, it's so interesting, uh, the, those concepts that really get formed by family of origins, how our mom functioned in our own homes, you know, uh, such a good question. So I have to say happy Mother's Day to some moms in my life. First of all, I have to say happy Mother's Day to my mom, Sue, who is uh, watching from Maine. So happy Mother's Day, mom, and happy Mother's Day to uh, my mother-in-law, Cindy, who's here uh, in Colorado right now. So happy Mother's Day and happy Mother's Day to my sister, Melissa, who is watching in Maine. And happy Mother's Day to Justine, who uh, I, we think of Justine as kind of one of our family, and she's a fantastic mom too. And then of course, happy Mother's Day to my wonderful wife, Wendy, who is one of the greatest of all time. So, uh, and you're going to get to hear from her in a little bit. Uh, a, a really, uh, really powerful image of mothering and of motherhood uh, is found in a, a great movie called Wonder. If you've never watched the movie Wonder, I would encourage you to uh, make it a point to watch that. Maybe even here this week, that's a good next step. Uh, who would have ever thought going to church, uh, your next step would be to watch a movie, right? That's an easy one. But uh, this story, Wonder, is about Augie, a little boy uh, who has a genetic disorder that is, he's had many surgeries and has left him scarred. And uh, he is entering into life in kind of a public school atmosphere. He's been homeschooled his whole life. And the story is kind of about Augie's first year of school and the challenges that he faces. And he has a really, really tough first day of school. Uh, some of the kids have bullied him and mistreated him and called him names. And he comes home and there's this wonderful scene in the movie where Augie's sitting at the dinner table with uh, his family and they're pressing him and they're asking him, hey, what is, well, how was your day at school? And he says, it's fine. And they keep pressing and he gets upset and he storms off and goes upstairs. And the next moment you see Augie's mom played by Julia Roberts uh, come into the room and gives us this wonderful portrait of motherhood. And she sits down on his bed as Augie's crying and she just begins to absorb the pain and the hurt. She doesn't try and solve it. She doesn't uh, say, give Augie any kind of wisdom on how to behave. She just, in this scene, brings him back to a deep truth. And, and in their conversation, Augie is expressing the pain. And, and he says, why do I have to be so ugly? And uh, Augie's mom says, you're not ugly, Augie. And Augie says, you have to say that you're my mom. And she gets very indignant and says, oh, it doesn't count because I'm your mom. And then she makes this beautiful statement. She says, it counts the most because I'm your mom, because I know you the most. What a great image, right? What a great image of God who knows us the most, who speaks truth to us when the pain and the hurt of this world settle in. It's funny to me how we can see a scene like that and, and see the tenderness and the care and the compassion and the nurturing side and say, what a great picture of what God does in our lives. And that is a sense of motherhood. Our culture, the way in which we grew up uses words like nurturing and compassionate and caring to describe really effective mothering. 
And it's funny how we can talk about that and say, God does that. But as soon as we really start to attribute certain words uh, that, that, that kind of come from feminine language, when we start to talk about God as mother, that becomes very challenging for us. Why is that? Why is it that we can understand God as father, but are really afraid to understand God as mother? Even just this idea, this topic, as I bring it up, I imagine some of us that are watching are starting to get very unsettled and uneasy. And I, I, I'm really not trying to, to, to make you angry at me. I'm really just trying to, maybe we could explore and lean into a, a fuller picture of the biblical witness of to, as to the nature of God. And, and anytime we talk about God, whether it's the fatherhood of God or the motherhood of God, I want us to understand that we're talking about a finger pointing to the moon. Right? If you think of God as the moon, right? God is transcendent. God is distant. God is far away. And we have all these fingers that point us towards an understanding of this amazingly good God. And some of those words are fatherhood and motherhood. God as father, God as mother. And when we get so focused on the language, when we get so focused on the word father or the word mother, we're missing it. We get focused on the finger rather than the moon. And I think we can see the moon and I think we can understand the moon by just exploring some of the biblical witness to this idea that we shouldn't have such a difficult time speaking to and thinking about God in these feminine terms. And the reality is many of us have a struggle with this. Many of us have a hard time with it because we've been brought up in a religion that has been founded in patriarchy right? There's a, a religion of faith that was written from the perspective of men, men who were on the top, men who had the power, men who had all the influence. And so that was the dominant culture. And that's the culture in which we receive the Bible. And so for oftentimes the subtle ways in which we've read scripture, in which the ways the church has functioned, has led us to have kind of an underlying quiet uh, view where we think that the feminine is somehow less. The feminine is weak. The feminine is somehow problematic. Even the temple structures can portrayed this, right? The temple that would only allow women in certain parts uh, of the temple and that women weren't even allowed near uh, the temple during menstruation. Some of the menstruation laws that we find in the Old Testament, they leave us with this sense that somehow there's an impurity to the feminine, that somehow there's an impurity to this idea of, of, of being a woman. And that is so unfortunate because the full witness of scripture is really quite the opposite. The full witness of scripture tells us that uh, in Genesis chapter one, in the story of union, that God created human beings in his image, in the image of God, they were created male and female, right? Right from the beginning, we get this beautiful understanding through this wonderful story that all of humanity is created in God's image, male and female, that there is a masculine and a feminine nature in this world and both are encompassed by God. So we see both male and female, uh, masculine and feminine are living icons of God. As if an icon is something that represents the divine in our world that helps us, it's a finger, right? That points to the moon. We can say that both male and female, both masculine and feminine are living icons of God. Jesus has often been described as a feminine soul in a male body. 
when you think about the person of Jesus, you think about his disposition towards the broken and the hurting, his compassionate nature, his refusal to take power through violence. It's hard to say that this isn't true at some levels, that Jesus embodied the paradoxes of our world, that Jesus was a fullness of God, right? That he encompasses both that feminine soul inside of a male body. We see that oftentimes in the way in which Jesus encountered women. I think of one encounter where Jesus was touched by a woman who would have been deemed unclean by the religion of her day. She would have never been allowed her entire life into the temple. She would have never been able to be around that because she had a disease that she never stopped menstruating. And Jesus was touched by her. And according to the culture, he would have then been unclean, but he stopped and he said, who touched me? And when he finds out who it was, he doesn't get angry. He doesn't say, why have you done that? Why have you touched me? No, he enters in and he absorbs this woman's pain and hurt. He meets her right where she is. This was Jesus. Another encounter that Jesus had, uh, we call this story, the woman at the well, right? And we find that Jesus one day was traveling through Samaria, which is in and of itself a, a wonderful statement of Jesus because Samaria was an area, a region that most Jews would avoid. They would take the long way because they didn't want to be around Samaritans. And we find Jesus meeting with a Samaritan woman and they start talking about God and faith. And Jesus really engages in theological conversation. Just the topic of the conversation is so affirming to the feminine is so affirming to the full dignity of a female form, right? And as Jesus is speaking with her, uh, he says to her, God is spirit. God is spirit. And what this teaches us is that God is neither male or female flesh, right? That for us to say that God has this gender, that God is somehow a man or a woman, that both of those are equally wrong. But what we also understand is that to say that God has a nature of fatherhood and God has a nature of motherhood, right? That the two combined is equally correct, right? That, that if God is not flesh, if God is spirit, then God transcends gender, right? But, but in our genders, we reflect some nature and some part of God, both male and female. This from Jesus, who, who I believe, and many who are watching believe, was the, divine, was the image of the divine, right in the flesh, right? We also have another great story, where uh, Jesus is meeting with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a, uh, he was a Pharisee, a religious leader. And he showed up one night on the cover of darkness. He didn't want to be seen visiting, hanging out with Jesus, right? And so he goes and he explores and he finds Jesus and they have this conversation. And in the conversation, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, right? Jesus equates the ability to function and live in the one thing that he is pronouncing, the kingdom of God with feminine language, that unless you are born again. Now, Nicodemus is confused by this. He says, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, listen to this, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. And he goes on and he says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life, 
right? So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. I love that Jesus, he comes announcing this kingdom of God, this new way of seeing the world, right? This understanding that you are in God, that God loves you. And he says, the only way to fully walk into this, that process is a birth process. Very feminine, female language. You cannot have birth without a female body. And Jesus equates the feminine, the female, with a part of the nature of God, the Holy Spirit that gives birth to us, that births us into the kingdom. And I think it's so powerful. It's hidden right there in plain sight, this understanding that we ought to think about God as mothering us, that we ought to think of God in those terms because that's the way in which we enter the kingdom is through this new birth, right? And Jesus ultimately makes experiencing the motherhood of God essential to this journey of transformation. To see the kingdom of God is to have a transformed life, is to no longer see in the dualities of our world that there's just the good and the bad and there's the right and the wrong, but to see the whole as God sees it, loved as valued. And isn't that what mothers do? Don't mothers see the whole as value? Don't mothers understand that their children are this paradox of good behavior and bad behavior and the embracing and the loving of them? right? Even around the cross, there's the language of birth. There's the imagery of birth. It says that the soldier pierced Jesus's side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed, right? That is the language of birth. Without blood and water flowing, there is no birth, right? There is no birth. Even in some of our very problematic texts in scripture that really kind of are strange and we have to kind of weed through the, the patriarchy of the time. We have to weed through, through some of the misunderstandings, right? In, in this letter called First Timothy, there's this crazy statement about women being saved through childbirth. And if we think about salvation as transformation, if we think of it in the way Jesus thought about it, of, of seeing the kingdom of God, of getting into that third dome of meaning apart from me and my people into just loving the way God loves, right? It really gives us a distinguished that women actually do have this head start when it comes to salvation in that way of thinking. That women have this head start, not in the way of, oh, I get to go to heaven because I said the right prayer, but in the way that I am brought into, I'm given birth to this, this new kingdom in which I understand that all are God's children, which I understand that God is bringing us to a place of union where we began in the garden and where we end in Revelation, right? This unearned, simple love because we are part of God. And the reason why I think women have this advantage is because women have carried a child. Many women carry a child and that child at one point in time was one with the mom, was one point in time an actual part of that female body. And that is an advantage in understanding how God sees us and loves us. It's why we have a problem of fatherlessness in our nation and in our culture and not one of motherlessness because mothers understand the union, right? Between two, that two become one, that two are one. And this desire to live in that space, like there's just an advantage there. You know, we were talking about 
the Mother's Day celebration this year and how we wanted to do it. And we were sitting as a programming team and, and one of the young moms uh, on the programming team made this statement. They had asked me kind of what the topic was. And I said, well, I'm hoping to just talk for 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, the jury's still out on that one. But the idea was to, to just kind of share a bit about motherhood and the motherhood of God. And, and one of our team members, Kia, she made this amazing statement. She said, one of the things that just blows my mind is that my child has heard my heartbeat from inside my body. My child has heard my heartbeat from inside my body. There's it, that's it right there. That's the advantage that is given. That is the advantage and why motherhood is such a powerful imagery for understanding God and for the nature of God. Because God wants us to understand and hear God's heartbeat. To live in the kingdom is to hear God's heartbeat, is to be in Christ. That God is not somewhere out there. That God is here present and we are in God. And the, the transformation that takes place is our heartbeat starts to be in time with the Father. That we hear the heart of God in our world. And that is such a beautiful image. So we ought to think about the motherhood of God, the tenderness of God, right? We ought to move and continue to evolve as we see happening in scripture, this fullness of God that's not found in only understanding God as father or only understanding God as mother, but it's an enlightenment of recognizing that God is both father and mother to this world, to me and to you. And so every time that we experience being comforted, we're experiencing the motherhood of God, whether that comfort comes by God working through a person in our lives or whether that comfort comes because I sat still and quiet and it was God's spirit comforting me, holding my tears, collecting my tears as scripture says, absorbing my pain, living in my suffering with me, sitting at the edge of the bed, just as Augie's mom did, reminding me of the truth, reminding me that no one knows me better than God. That is the motherhood of God. And that is a powerful, powerful place to be, to recognize that God is not one who is simply this being that exists to have power and control and all those things that we oftentimes equate with toxic masculinity, but that God is one who suffers alongside, that God is one with tenderness and care. And we see that lived out in Jesus. We also experience the motherhood of God when we are nurtured, right? There's a nature uh, to a mother that nurtures her children, that brings out the best in them, that, that can see that, that this is, this is your, your uniqueness. And they nurture that. And God does that in us. And as we can start to get past and as we can start to recognize and realize where the, where the struggle with the feminine language around God comes from, the patriarchy that many of us grew up in, whether it be socially, whether it be religiously, whether it be economically, we can start to identify that and recognize that as a very shadow side to understanding and talk of God as father. We can start to walk into a very redemptive space where we have a better understanding of God where we all of a sudden recognize we can end this, this oppressive patriarchy that has been done in the name of God. And we can have a full understanding. We can see as Jesus said that you must be born of God, that God mothers you in some way, shape or form, that that is the image of God at work in this world. And something very powerful happens when we can learn to embrace the feminine language, when we can learn to see that as a part of the divine nature of God, is we now are more readily available and can put ourselves and see the divine nature in the women around us. And we can understand that God is calling us to, to care for this world in full participation, in full partnership and care with one another. 
and to live into what the scripture calls us to in Galatians, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, right? That God is found in both those and we do not need to be afraid. We do not be afraid to assign this, this metaphorical language that's feminine in nature to God because that is a part of God. It's a finger pointing to the moon. We don't need to be afraid of that anymore. So as we wrap up our time together, we have a few things left that I think are gonna be really encouraging. What we wanna do is speak a blessing on motherhood, right? The blessing is this, this moment where we hear the, the voice of God reminding us of the truth of ourselves and of God. And so Wendy, uh, the, the matriarch of our home, the, the, the mother of our, my kids and uh, just a wonderful soul has uh, written a blessing for us and in particular for our moms. And so I wanna encourage you moms to just kind of close your eyes and listen to the truth that's being spoken through Wendy. Listen to God's spirit. Listen to God's spirit reminding you of who you are and just receive that. Let it kind of wash over you in a very symbolic way so that you might be able to walk into all that God is calling you to be, that you would know that God knows you the best and that's why God's opinion counts the most. And then we have a great Mother's Day song and a couple other things for us today. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. I hope that you have a wonderful day. Enjoy this blessing and this great song. To everyone who has experienced the gift of a mother's love, may God bless you with the courage to honor the mothers in your life, not simply once a year, but regularly and authentically. May your heart be full of thankfulness for the women who have brought the gift of motherhood into your life. To those who have experienced the care and love of a mother, whether biological or spiritual, may you find joy in honoring her or her memory today. To those that Mother's Day brings suffering and grief, a reminder of loss and pain, perhaps you are without your mother today. Perhaps you are separated from your children in some way, or perhaps today brings a reminder of a deep, unfulfilled desire to be a mother. May you know that we hold your suffering and weep with you. On this day of celebration, your tears are noticed and you are not forgotten. May God give you the strength for today. To the mothers, may this Mother's Day be filled with honor and joy. Today and these days of juggling homeschooling, working from home, social distancing, emotional exhaustion, mental fatigue, and even intense feelings of failure. May God bless you with a peace today, a calmness in your heart. May God empower you to shed the false belief that you somehow should know all and be all. May you shed the false self with her demands that you be good at everything. May you hear the whisper of God's spirit say to you, you are already brave. You are already enough. You are smart. You are capable. You are strong. You are wise. You are an overcomer, a prized member of the body of Christ. Now more than ever, let us bring our collective strengths and wisdom together. We will mother all of our children and grandmother all of our grandchildren. We will cheer each other on, refusing to speak doubt into our gifts. When one of us is scared, we will declare, you can do this. We will lift each other's heads and handle truth for one another. We don't use our voices to rank women, only to thank women. Let us be women who love. Let us be women who carry each other. 
Let us be a sacred space where God dwells. Let us rise to the questions of our time. Let us listen for those who have been silenced. Say yes when saying no would be easier. Taking responsibility for our global sisters because enough is enough. We won't sit idly while people are abused, trafficked, sold, and abandoned. Let us learn to lean on each other, knowing that in Christ we belong not to ourselves, but to each other. As we seek to find and live out God's call to motherhood, may God bless each of us with the wisdom to understand that giving birth is one pathway to motherhood, not the only pathway. May we all understand the sacred second pathway to motherhood, seeing the spiritual orphan around us and taking action. May God bless you with eyes to see the orphans and a burden to invest your unique time, talents, and treasure into spiritual sons and daughters. And in that burden, may you experience the power of God equipping you for the task, shouldering the burden with you. You can preach good news to the poor. You can model faithful friendship around your table. And you can stretch your hand across oceans to moms everywhere. You can do small work. You can do big work. You are so able in Jesus' name. Don't wait for permission. We've already been given it. You have authority to use your home as a sanctuary, your hands as tools of healing, your voice as an instrument of hope, your gifts as channels of incredible power. May you find yourself rooted in God's unfathomable love. May you experience the immeasurable depths, heights, width, and breadth of this love so that you can then give it away liberally, becoming mothers to many and sisters to each other. Now go and love. Love your spouse, love your babies, love the poor, love the orphans, love the widows, love the powerful, love the broken and hurting, love your friends, love yourself, and love your enemies. Love until you come to love the whole world in the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.